From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts. So the topic today is passive investing, the next bubble. It's it's a story, right? It's a topic. It's something that that is uh, coming to the forefront as uh, I, you know more and more inve- passive investing seems to be the investing style du jour. So that's something we're going to address today and and uh, approach whether or not it is a bubble, isn't a bubble, what is a bubble. So let's start with that. You know, effectively, let's start with defining a traditional bubble. And I think the easiest thing to do, simply is to start with Investopedia, right? That that very basic tool. So their definition of a bubble is a surge in asset prices unwarranted by the fundamentals of the asset and driven by exuberant market behavior. Manish, what do you got? Well, I think it's important to, to highlight the fact that just because something is popular doesn't make it a bubble, right? And in today's sort of media, they're quick to attach bubble to everything that's that's popular. And if you take it from a day-to-day life example, you know Amazon Prime is popular. It's it's not in a bubble. The iPhone isn't in a bubble. Uh, you can't just say, say that something's in a bubble just because a lot of people are using it, right? There there's some basis for it, and there's some pretty big examples of bubbles going back in time. I know we highlighted a couple. What what was your favorite bubble? Yeah, well, my my favorite bubble, which I'll tie into uh, a, a show recommendation later on, is is the uh, tulip mania. You know, back in the 1600s in Holland, there were a couple of issues that drove, uh, I know this sounds crazy, but literally the little flower tulips to be more expensive than homes. I mean, it's insane to think about it, but that's, it is what it is, the, right? Sometimes that just happens. The classic definition, one of the first bubbles. Yeah, my favorite, I mean, obviously dot-com bubble, uh, you know, there mm-hmm. were IPOs. We talk about IPOs now with Uber and Lyft, you know, coming out mm-hmm. once a month. There were IPOs daily back in the dot-com era, and right. sometimes multiple times a day. Uh, people were rushing to get, get that public money, but my favorite bubble is the dot-com, <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the real estate bubble that we all lived through and that we managed through. And in, in yeah. the movie, the, the Big Short, one of my favorite scenes is when um, the guy's in the champagne room with a stripper, and the stripper's telling him about how she's got multiple homes, you could, you know, multiple mortgages, you only have to put 5% down, and for almost every listener here, they're going to be able to relate to what was going on there with the mortgages uh, and the housing bubble that sort of, um, you know, was attached to that. So that, that's at least the, the most memorable one. Therein lies part of the reason that, that all of us are, are talking about passive investing being a bubble. You mentioned the big short. Well, Michael Burry is the one that did, recently wrote an article that, uh, that we're going to address in a minute about this concept and what his opinion was and, and frankly... Uh, we're going to discuss that. So we talked about a bubble, right? We've defined a bubble. So help me define passive investing. You know, every time we do podcast prep, you and I talk about how, you know, you can go down multiple rabbit holes with this stuff. So we try to keep focused or else this is going to be a nine-hour podcast. So um, yeah. the, the most popular form of passing investing is, is indexing, right? And, and that for, for this podcast, let's keep it to that, right? Indexing is essentially saying, you are going to own every stock in an index, own a fund or ETF that tracks an underlying benchmark. The most popular being the S&P 500, but there's ETFs and funds for almost every benchmark imaginable, right? Um, and the flip side of that is an active fund 
that buys and sells stocks based on what they feel are market inefficiencies that they can extract to beat the benchmark. So on one hand, you just want to match the benchmark. And on the other hand, the active folks want to beat that benchmark. That's as basic as it can get. Yeah, I, I tend to, when I'm, you know, of course, I talk to a lot of advisors, but I also talk to clients as well. And, and I think uh, kind of a simple version is, do you want just simply the coverage or do you want to dig into the weeds, right? The active investors are looking to dig into the weeds. Most people of this day and age seem to just want coverage. And, uh, and, and that's where we go. I'm going to, I want to make sure that we, we read this correctly. Here you go. I'll read it. I believe that indexing will turn out to be just another Wall Street fad. When the market trend reverses, matching the market will not seem so attractive. The selling will then adversely affect the performance of the indexers and further exacerbate the rush for the exits. Now, there's a couple interesting, there's a couple interesting uh, points about this quote. Uh, and this proves to you that, that history you know, repeats itself. Arguments that are made years ago can be made again. This quote was in 1991, calling passive a yeah. fad. And these, this is yeah. important. You know, things go in cycles. You can't get too excited or too down about any type of cycle. These things go, they move in phases. And the thing with this is he's sort of right. When the trend does reverse and people rush for the exit, but that's true of any investment. It has nothing to Absolutely. do with this. It's just when, when things go south and people just panic sell, this can be, you know, a quote for a lot of things. But the point is, you know, these arguments about a certain asset class being dead ha have been in publications for years, right? We talk about value investing, people saying is dead. It wasn't for 10 or 15 years. Now it is. Who knows? I mean, you, you can recycle these quotes over and over. So back to topic here, you know, this argument about passive yeah. being a bubble has come and gone through the years, just like any other bubble talk. Well, and that's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, that's uh, that, it's everybody has their own choice, and, and those things tend to vary from time to time. Um, so, you know, we mentioned Michael Burry, right? And that was part of the reason that this has become a little bit more prevalent topic in the last few weeks uh, with his article. So there are really two key points that he wanted to, that he was trying to relay. Well, well one hey, of which before, is passive. Before you yeah. jump into that, let, yeah. uh, who's Michael Burry? I know, but... Well, effectively, so, yeah, so he wrote The Big Short, which was a great movie. You, you referenced it earlier as well, um, that they made a movie out of the book. But ultimately, he is one of the very few people who not only called the problem of the housing bubble, but obviously made a killing on it. Um, yeah, you know, that's, uh, I highly recommend, hey, there you go, maybe we should make that the recommendation for both of us, is to go read the book or watch the movie. Yeah, and, and so, he, not, but, not only did he call it, but how it would unfold in terms of the CDOs and, and the illiquidity right. in, in that market, which, you know, to his credit, right. was pretty spot on. Yeah, you do that once and you've made a career. Uh, who knows how much he made on the book, but... Yeah. <laughs> and, and the movie, yeah, probably more than he made investing. Yeah. But anyway... So his two points. So he made a couple of points. Yeah, we want to we hit on these, right? The first one is, is passive investing may artificially drive up market valuations and create a bubble. So I'll let you approach that. It's 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 hard to answer things that are just uh, you know on the surface so ridiculous. Like uh, overall investment in stocks drive valuations, not one style over the next. If anything, you can make the argument that monetary policy or 
or loose monetary policy is what's driving overvaluation. So to blame it on a style of investing, I, I think is is just absurd. Yeah, I mean, like I say, you can. Have, there's a lot of different styles, and, and it it's it's. I mean, today, let's face it, we we face a world of clickbait, and so whether it be Michael Burry or anybody else, it's it's about you know, getting your name out there in some cases. And so whether the point is valid or not valid, it, it can still be a point made. It almost goes back to the old adage, no, new, you know, no news is bad news, right? I mean, ultimately make a point. Whether or not it's a valid point is not really the point. Yeah, right. <laughs> how's, how's that for a rabbit yeah. hole? <laughs> All right. Uh, you got anything else on, on that particular no, point? No, I just, there's, there's, no, there's no reason even diving into it. It's just, it, there, you can't argue with stupid. Like, just the, the thesis itself makes zero sense that, that a style of investing is driving valuations. Right. Well, so do well, you here, have any well, stats as far as the yeah, volume yeah. of passive versus exactly. active? I so mean, this that's, is, that I think is something important. Yeah, this, thanks for reminding me. This is really, this hits home, right? So uh, <laughs> Vanguard, I think it was Bogle's book that came out that said 14% of U.S., uh, equity funds are passive, uh, and five percent of global assets are passive. They're, they're, they they still get trounced by active management. So how can something so small be driving valuations? Like I said, you, a style of investing. At this point, yes, maybe if it's ninety nine percent of the market, you can make some sort of argument. But where it is right now, it's just a ludicrous argument to say that passive is driving valuations. Uh, if you want any blame to, to be put on, it's it's on monetary policy that, that drives more of this than anything else. Right. Well, and so his let's move on to his second point. I mean, effectively, you know, he's saying passive investing ignores the fundamentals of each stock, right? And so, therefore, if you're going to ignore that, that causes a, a flaw in price discovery and a dysfunctional market. What do you think about that? So Is that a valid argument? It does ignore the fundamentals, but but so what? What? Who cares, right? You know, it doesn't cause price discovery or, or, or any uh, issues with uh, dysfunctional markets. And and so let's take a step back, right? What what yeah. drives dysfunctional markets? In my opinion, a, a big driver is illiquidity, right? Let's shoot back to 2008, the issues with the CDOs. When there's sellers and no buyers, it, it can cause problems with, with liquidity, right? And that, that's the, the main driver to me of a, of a dysfunctional market. So if you take a look back, I went back and looked in, in our data in 1980, the average sort of daily volume on the NYSE was roughly $40 million, 40 million uh, trades a day, right? And right now, things like SPY are trading at 70 million, Apple, 26 million. So we have more liquidity now than ever, which drives down costs, so it's impossible to say that with this much liquidity and this mm-hmm. much availability of trading that you're having issues with price discovery. Yes, if things are really illiquid, things are really hard to value, sure, you can make the argument that there's some dysfunction there. But that's the opposite of index investing. With index investing, for the most part, if you're following a large enough benchmark, there, there is no issue with price discovery and it's it's not causing any dysfunction. So once again, the the, the whole premise of his argument just... I'm missing it. I just don't see how any of this sort of makes sense. Well, there's, you know, there's, if, if, let me ask you a really simple question, which is always in the back of my mind when we start talking about things like this. Do clients care? No. No. Right? I mean, they, they couldn't give a rat's butt. Um, but the other thing that, um, you know, is in this, I mean, ultimately, we're all trying to find a way to, to make money for the clients. We're all trying a way to protect money for the clients, right, and grow business. And, and you know, these things, the reality is whether they're valid or not, clients 
see CNBC or they see news articles or they get smacked by a Yahoo notification or something. So it's good to talk through some of these to make sure that we are all educated, we're all aware of the circumstance and and can speak to these points. So I appreciate your insight. Um, I want to I want to sort of sum this up. Is there any truth behind passive investing being a bubble? I don't think so. I think once again on certain ETFs and certain funds that are going after illiquid and hard to price areas, I think you could see issues if there is a panic um, because you would be selling into a dry market, and that can cause issues. But I don't know. I mean, that can probably happen with active funds as well, right? If they're buying hard to yeah. value. The thing is, with an active fund, you can choose not to sell it, right? You can choose to sell the other holdings to, you know, create liquidity for redemptions. But with an ETF, uh, it, it's everything is sold sold at once, right? So, right. so that's, that's the problem. I do see that with some of these funky ETFs that sort of, um, you know, are, are going after very illiquid markets, you could see you could see some issues but that it's just a stretch like mutual funds can also halt redemptions in a panic so you know does that mean every mutual fund is going to have issues like it's just it's not even worth really you know diving into yeah. so that that's i don't think there's much truth behind it at all i'm i'm with you on that all right, so uh we've we've knocked out the passive investing bubble concept so the more important stuff right twofold one Clearly, we make mistakes along the way, and we don't mind showing you. Uh, number two, what are your recommendations? What do you got for this week? Well, first and foremost, we want to sort of summarize sort of how Potomac um, sort of views this in terms of but passive and, and, and sort of the synopsis there. So I think first and foremost, we have a unique perspective on this because I think there's too much extreme going on in the world right now where people scream passive is the best and other people scream active is the best. We've used both passive and active investments throughout our time, throughout our time managing money because there's value for both. You know, I can look back to the late 90s and early 2000s where you could find active managers on a regular basis who outperform their benchmark, mainly broad market, mainly value. And as time goes on, I think it's true that you're finding less and less active managers that are adding any value. But in certain asset classes, I still think, you know, it's small cap international, some fixed income, things maybe that are thinly traded, there is still a lot of value with stock pickers. But the rest of the market in terms of larger, large growth and, and larger benchmarks, you're better off just sort of buying a passive fund. And so it's a good mix of both. I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer. Here's one thing I want to make sure it's clear. One of the biggest problems, in my opinion, that's happened comes down to career risk. I think there's so many mutual funds that are so scared shitless of doing something different than their benchmark. They end up just hugging the benchmark. And then so this is the term closet indexers. You're, you're basically a more expensive version of an index fund. So in my opinion, what, what the future is going to hold, it's going to be a barbell approach, right? On one side, you're going to have passive, low-cost, uh, low-turnover funds that gives you broad exposure to a benchmark. On the other side, you're going to have sort of what I call the, the strange portfolios, the things that are really concentrated, long, short, tactical, unconstrained, right? taking Market a stand, taking things that, you know, taking a stand to generate alpha versus just hugging a bench, benchmark and, and charging. 
And so in the middle, you're going to have just a pile of poop. It's going to be, you know, these people who charge one to 2% to do nothing but hug a benchmark, which is the worst of both worlds. We talk about expensive and cheap. The worst is sort of in the middle where you do absolutely nothing. And so our take has always been, you know, I go back to the quote all the time, you know, not all of us can dunk a basketball, but it's the job of the NBA to find those people that can, right? It's our job as a manager to find those investments that can add value. And when they can't, or right. when we can't find them, buy an index fund that buys everything, index. right? And that's sort of the, yeah. the balance between that. And, and I think that's the right answer. I think we think that's the right answer in terms of the best way to manage money is find the best investment for that asset class for that given time period. Well, ultimately, these are all tools, right? And and as tools, you know, look, I can go out and, and maybe craft a little something, but you get a quality carpenter who grabs the same tools and suddenly you've got this piece of art, uh, this beautiful table, etc., that, you know, is gorgeous and, and therefore deserves a high price. Um, you know, they're just tools, and it's what you do it's, with it's them a, that makes the, a the golf analogy is the best, right? You know, you're not going to putt with a driver, <laughs> right? And it's the same thing. If you want broad S&P exposure... There's no point in buying an active fund that has 2% fee. What, what, what's the point? You can get it for five basis points. Right. But if you want long, short, if you want managed futures, if you want non-correlated assets, you're not going to get that in an index fund, and you're going to have to find something a little bit more active and unique, and that's just a different tool. So, I mean, yeah, it, it comes right. down to, to how you approach it. All right. All right. So on that note, uh, what's your recommendation for this week, Manish? We started – uh, inside, I think it's inside Bill Gates' mind or inside Bill Gates' brain or whatever on Netflix. Uh, just a recommendation from Twitter. Yeah. I love it. I, I just I love these documentaries really? that follow. I mean, he's just a brilliant person. Like just the, the amount of stuff he reads, the, the way his brain works, and you know, he's sort of envious of people like that, right? We we're, we're not the smartest people, but we work hard. But nothing you can't work as hard as someone who who has that type of brain. And it's just great to see sort of his, his history. And, and I'm, I'm only on episode two and a half, roughly in the middle. I don't know how many they are. But uh, fantastic series so far. Highly recommended on Netflix. Um, makes me want to stop recommending TV and, and actually pick up a book. But, uh, but nonetheless, that's, that's why. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to yeah, do I'm that. Not, <laughs> all right. What I'm do you sorry, got? sorry, man. I just, <laughs> I, I just, you know, I've, I've tried. I mean, I've read a fair amount. But it, in the end, I just can't keep my... My attention span to a book just doesn't happen very, very rarely. So on that note, let me give you a TV reference. You, you know, earlier we talked about the tulip mania. The first place that I ever heard that was on a show called Adam Ruins Everything. This is sort of an oddball show for sure. It's on True TV. You can go see some of the episodes. There's a few of them on YouTube. They've got them on their actual True TV website. And of course, if you can record this stuff, they replay them all the time. Um, basically he's got a, a group of fact finders that go out and in detail on their website, they'll give you all the links kind of like we do in the show notes. If we reference something, they'll give you all the links to the things that he references, but he picks a topic like investment bubble or in the school loans is one of my favorite, you know, school loans and goes literally from the beginning to the end of what school loans started as where regulatory changes happened, where, you know, what's real, what's not. And, and just tries to spend a half an hour laying out the real backbone to the story. Wait, so why, it why is a, it called Adam Ruins Everything? Because ultimately things like, uh, 
Oh, geez. Uh, pick a topic. School loans. He ruins everything. Well, you think a school loan's a great concept, right? It is. In concept, you can borrow some money and go to school. What you start finding out are some of the tips and facts, like the fact that the school loan entity started lobbying to the point where now most people don't realize this. You can't even get rid of a school loan from a ba- through a bankruptcy court. Oh, I got you. So he just dives. Right, there are dives very into few the, things. So uh, he dives uh, in, and some of the things are great facts that are helpful. Some of them are like, "Holy crap!" I mean, you just sat back and go, "I had no idea." I got you. Okay. Well, and so it's on, it's on True TV. So take all these. Right. So school loans. Take all these loans, and you think, "Okay, well, I'll pay them off eventually." Look, even if you go through bankruptcy and everything else is written off. They're still coming okay. after you for those school loans, right? right. So, yeah, it's just a, it's just an interesting show. It's a, a little goofy, all right, but it's it's good good facts. So that's where I first heard the tulip thing when he was talking about a show on investments. So cool. There you go. All right, so like, subscribe. We'll put stuff in the show notes for details that we spoke of. We appreciate the listeners, and uh, you can always go to the connect page of www.potomacfund.com and give us feedback or other topics you'd like to see. Wait, 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 wait. On that. Yeah. We're up to seven subscribers on YouTube. Whoa, baby. Back up, back up the Brinks truck. Be- We're about to get paid. Double double digits before the year end. That's what All I'm right. thinking. All right. I got stuff to do. <laughs> so, Later. All right. Uh, Ciao. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.